And right about there, you're like, oh, oh, wait. <laughs> right. This so- whole plot line isn't true. <laughs> Hey there, everyone, and thank you for tuning back into No Script, an unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I am Jackson Nikolai. I am Jacob Mann Christensen. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. We're excited to jump into another play this week, as we do every week when we're when we're on our regular season, of course. That's right, and we are into season five, and we're still coming to playwrights that we have not come to before. That's that right. Is yeah. amazing. It, it's I wouldn't say that it's shocking, given how many playwrights there are. Their right. theater has been around <laughs> for hundreds and thousands of years. And Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there's been a lot of playwrights since then, and there's new playwrights every day. And this playwright has had some recent um, success, let's call it, although the the playwright has had much success before that. All that to say, uh, David Henry Huang was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for the 2020 round of Pulitzers for his play Soft Power. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're doing another one of his plays this week. Um, it's a, a little bit uh, further back in his his rather extensive list of plays that he's written and and have been uh, a part of the shows. But we're doing Yellowface. That's right. You might know David Henry Huang for M Butterfly. That's sort of widely his most popular play, his most well known play. It was kind of a defining play of the late twentieth century. And you also might know him from Chinglish, which ran on. Broadway for a while, or you might know him, although you probably wouldn't know his name involved with the project, but he did write the book for the Disney movie musical Tarzan. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so he's got, he's been in like a lot of a lot of shows uh, as as kind of a, a, a writer, obviously as a, as a as a playwright, but then as a, sometimes kind of a silent writer as well, and 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 part of a different a number of different different productions. And this play is interesting. It, it's kind of reflecting on one of his other productions and on a cultural moment. So I'm excited to get into into talking about it. Yeah, that's right. Before we have that conversation, though, we do want to have the other conversation that we have before starting these episodes, which is to ask you to head on over to patreon.com slash podcast. Again, that URL, easiest way to find it is just to type in patreon.com slash podcast. We have everything set up over there for you to become a supporter of the show. Jackson and I love to do this work. We love to have these conversations about plays, uh, but it's just not free for us to do. There are production costs. There are hosting costs. There's the cost of purchasing scripts we can't find a way to check out from our local libraries, as well as a not inconsiderable time investment from the two of us to make these episodes happen week to week. So just as part of what we do, we are asking you to support us. Over on patreon.com slash noscriptpodcast, you can choose a tier of support. Each tier is a monthly 
monthly amount that can be automatically drawn from your bank account. The lowest amount is just $1 a month, $12 a year total. That low amount is hugely, hugely, hugely helpful for us. So please don't don't just shy away because you're worried that a dollar a month doesn't mean anything. It really does. The tiers go up from there. And even at that $1 level, you become an official patron and you are able to access the patron-only posts over there, which includes uh, posts from Jackson and I about interesting other kinds of art that we've been engaging with lately, as well as forward-looking views of what's coming up on the podcast. Everybody else gets to know the Wednesday before the Monday that an episode comes out what we're doing, but as a patron, you get to know ahead of that. So that's another great perk. So please, please consider heading on over patreon.com slash podcast. You can become a supporter over there. Yes, thank you to everyone who has become a patron over over there. Thank you. You you are the you are the wind beneath the wings of the podcast. We, <laughs> <laughs> we we thank you all very much. Thanks for heading over there. We'll see you over there. And now back to the script. Um, I'm just gonna contextualize just a little bit uh, this play so far. Um, and uh, and it's an interesting play because the, it is really dealing with uh, kind of three big cultural moments. Um, one of them is uh, that that I'll talk about in the context and leave the rest to to Jacob in the synopsis. Is yeah, this, it, play it, is, this is going to get a little messy between the context is. and the synopsis this time because of the kind of play it is. It's sort of an autobiographical, History. mockumentary style yeah. sort of of the piece. So the context and the synopsis are all wrapped up together. It's true. It's true. Um, because the play is is kind of talking about uh, a 1993 play, Face Value, um, uh, which is also a play by David Henry Huang. Um, and uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's just interesting and complicated. The show itself premiered in Los Angeles at the Mark Tapper Forum um, in, in May of 2007 and then opened off-Broadway in 2008, um, ra- ran there for a while. In 2013, the show was uh, produced as part of a, a two-part YouTube video, d- video which, is, which is interesting. And uh, highly <laughs> good. Very uh, Highly good was a weird thing to say, but it's very I, good. Highly good. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and then it was also done in in the UK as well. Um, the play, as far as like context wise, um, it's it's dealing with uh, at least the opening beat of the play is dealing with the controversy back in oh man, I'm not in like the nineteen in nineteen ninety um, or very very early nineties when uh, uh, Jonathan Price played a a the the character of the the pimp in Miss Saigon. Yeah, the engineer um, character, the the famous sort of one of the leading men of that show called the engineer. Mm-hmm. And so that happened in the UK, and then it came to when it, the show came to the US, um, he was cast again. Um, and so uh, the actors' union got involved, uh, the Asian American actors' unions got involved, and uh, and that's the that's at least the 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 setting for which. Uh, Face value, which is not this play, was written. Uh, David Henry Huang wrote that play then, and then uh, was commenting on that moment. So that's those are that's that's the kind of weirdness, right? We're dealing with him talking about it, writing a play about him writing a play about a cultural moment in 1990. <laughs> right, and so all of what Jackson just said is the synopsis of much of the, of the play, part. right? I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it's a, the, the play Yellow Face that we're talking about today is an autobiographical 
semi-fictionalized. When when the when the published copy of the script came out, the word mockumentary wasn't in our cultural lexicon as much, and I'm not quite sure it really applies because much of the events that uh, many of the events that occur in the show are real, but many are very specifically fictionalized or have fictionalized elements added to them. The play is told in a sort of documentary format a la the Laramie Project or something like that, mm-hmm. right? It's it's presented in, through quotes and then actors playing real people a lot of the times um, as something that is true and then a very specific important branch of the play is fictionalized. But part of what the story tells is about Jonathan Price playing the engineer in Miss Saigon, David Henry Huang being the face of the movement to protest that that example of yellow face, right, which is a white actor playing an Asian Amer- an Asian character, not an Asian American character, but an Asian character. Um, and so he became, he protested that and received quite a bit of flack from it from lots of different parts of the theatrical community, went on to write a play called Face Value, which flopped on Broadway um, about that experience. And that is about the first third of the play is sort of about that. Yeah. And then there's there's some other complicated stuff in there. There's an actor cast in uh, in the play Face Value um, that is happening within this play, Yellowface. Um, that uh, they they cast him and they think that he has some Asian ancestry, um, but it turns out he doesn't. Um, and that's 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 a pretty that's a fairly early revelation in terms of of the journey of the script. They find out that they messed up. They were kind of a, against a time crunch. They really liked his audition. They thought that he was Asian in some way. Uh, he said he said he has a complicated history, and uh, and and so they cast him. And they they figure out that they've done essentially the same thing by accident that uh, David Henry Huang had been protesting in Jonathan Price being cast in Miss Saigon. Right. And that storyline carries through much of the rest of the play as a it's not a subplot, but the play doesn't have a very clear um overarching plot that somehow ties together all of the things that are going on. It's a play about a lot of things happening kind of all on top of each other. And so that's one of the strands of plot that occurs through the play. And then another has to do with the anti-Asian scares in our government here in America that occurred in the 90s where, you know, they were all worried about Chinese spies and and so there was a lot of investigation done into Chinese banking uh, and things like that. And David Henry Huang's father, Henry, is a or was a Chinese banker who was put under some scrutiny for the government accused him and and journalists accused him of taking, you know, espionage money, spy money and, and using it to influence American elections because Henry Huang was a very active politically. Um, in terms of his donations to campaigns, especially the Clinton campaign. And so mm-hmm. that is part of what goes on in the play as well. And it's just interesting, at, at, while we're still in this context synopsis, it's just interesting to think about this moment in history. The play is produced in 2007. So this is before Obama is elected president. Um, it's 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 uh, kind of post 9-11. And, and actually in the preface, there's this great... 
Um, there's this great phrase that I'll go ahead and read real quick. Um, as Huang reminds us near the end of the play, the turn of the century vilification of China that abruptly halted when America discovered the virulence of a different foreign villain on September 11th, 2001, could return at any time in the new century. And Barack Obama's elevation to the American presidency isn't the final curtain on anti-black racism either. So... Huang writes this play prior to Obama's election to the presidency. He's kind of almost prophetic in that way. And now, even in this current presidency, he's a little bit prophetic, too. Our current president ran on an anti-China platform for a lot of his his, his um, election. So, so it's interesting how prophetic this play truly is and how it continues to happen and, and the, the different themes that are sadly still resonating in our, in our culture. That's right. And... Just returning to the context of the play very briefly, it did win an Obie Award and was nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. That was 2008. Um, I don't know how many people can name the Pulitzer Prize winner from 2008 off the top of their head. Um, <laughs> I can. It was August Osage <laughs> County. I only know that because I recently reread August Osage <laughs> County just for funsies. And sure, sure. I was reminded that it won in 2008. So if you feel sort of bad for David Henry Wong, this is an incredibly right. good play. And it was it had some steep, steep competition in 2008. But he was all that's his. Second of three times being nominated for the Pulitzer Prize. There, there's the one in 2020 just now that we mentioned already. But then M. Butterfly was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize too in 1989. Now, I cannot name the Pulitzer Prize winners from 1989 <laughs> off the top of my head. So I had to go back and look and listen to the other nominee and the winner from that year. In 1989, M. Butterfly by David Henry Huang was nominated. The Piano Lesson by August Wilson was nominated. <laughs> and ultimately, the winner was The Heidi Chronicles by Wendy Wasserstein. Oh, my. That is some <laughs> esteemed company for that year's is. Pulitzer Rounds. Gosh. <laughs> yep, up up against some steep competition those years. Yeah, he'll get one one of these days. There's no, there's oh, almost no doubt about that. David Henry Huang is one of the finest uh, working American playwrights that that we that we as a country have to offer the world. Right, he is right. Incredible. We could have talked about any of his plays for our first David Henry Huang play. Um, I selfishly chose this one because it. It maps onto the kind of theater that I just absolutely adore. Um, this <laughs> adaptive, highly theatrical sort of style of storytelling is just right in my niche. And I decided that when I got to pick the David Henry Huang play this time, this was the one we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, let's talk about that just a little bit, because this is I, my, my initial read through of this play. I was like, oh, I'm reading an oral history right now. And I'm, and I'm just taking it as, as essentially a perspective reporting on 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 a history. And then there's that turn at the end of the play that like jars you out of that experience and you're like, "Oh, I maybe have not been watching something that's strictly true strictly factual, but is perhaps quite true." Yeah, so let's set that up. Um as, as we've mentioned, the play takes this kind of documentary style of storytelling. Oral history is a comparable style of storytelling. Uh, high high use of quote, like quotes throughout from newspapers, uh, from court transcripts, from 
um, uh, magazines, blah, 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 blah. Reporters, dates reviews, are very dates, specific. Yeah. yeah. All, there's, there's that whole level of like textual historical documents that are included in the storytelling. And then there is the level of characters playing real people. Um, when the whole, uh, controversy about Jonathan Price and Miss Saigon appears. Cameron McIntosh, the, the famed producer of the show, who actually did later on promise to only cast uh, Asians in the roles of Asian characters in the productions of the show, and as far as we have now, has been faithful to his word. That real-life person does appear in the show as a, an actor plays him, as well as a whole host of other real people who are involved in real stories in the world appear senators senator and, yeah exactly yeah. and and actors play them but they're you know they're fictionalized versions of real people so there's that level there's the textual historical documents there's the real people played by actors and then there is the level of the playwright is the protagonist yeah, right. And 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 the playwright is a protagonist. His family is a part of things. Um notably uh especially the playwright as a protagonist and his father are not uh, named in the script as characters. They're named with an acronym of their name DHH and HYH. Um and and uh, and there's there is a uh self-referential line in there about that about how it's true truly uh arrogant for a playwright to write their own name into the play. Um but yet other characters don't refer to them by their acronym. They do refer to them by their first names. So so yeah, they they the the through line of the kind of self uh, reflective autobiography feels like what what you're actually engaging. You're engaging like a retelling of events from from this his perspective. Sure, yeah. And and I, we watch interviews and stuff and read reviews as always in preparation for these episodes. And I didn't ever find in any of the interviews that I watched um, with David Henry Huang any reference to that specifically uh, that that the script uses acronyms to title the characters of David Henry Huang and and uh, his father. Um, and I don't know, as an audience member seeing it, if, if that would be something that you would ever really catch on to. But mm -hmm. if I just took a shot in the dark as a playwright, as a director, why he might have done something like that, I would guess that it is it was a way to help him write himself in a way that doesn't feel like, or at least provides some removal from writing himself as a character. Right. It's very difficult to write yourself as a character in shows or even uh, even to write like a metaphorical show about your life where you appear as a character as a playwright because the tendency is to make yourself the hero. The tendency is to make all of your decisions understandable and the right ones in, in every scenario and you're wronged by the way. All this stuff that makes it very difficult. And mm -hmm. he has achieved something really remarkable in writing a character that makes some pretty huge blunders uh, yeah. openly and in public on stage. And you have to wonder if, if using the acronym title is a way to help him do that, to just give that next layer of removal as he's writing the script. Yeah, that was that was remarkable to me as I was reading it, just like how, how free, if he is writing an autobiographical or semi-autobiographical character, how free he is to let himself kind of appear um, in an unflattering light 
often in the play. Um, and in the course of a couple decisions he's made and, and his ongoing um, antagonism towards a couple characters and things that are said. So yeah, I, I was I was fascinated by the level of separation that he was able to achieve by that, for that. Yeah, and, and his, then there's, his willingness to admit complicity in all of it too. Yeah. I mean, he he pretty openly admits the wrong that he did in several of these various circumstances. Um, and that that's really admirable to, to mm-hmm. put a play on that you had no, you, you know, you didn't need to write this play, but he found that it was an important story to tell, a story he wanted to tell, and that his part in it for good and for bad was an important part to include as well. And that, I think that's really admirable. Yeah. Absolutely. So you have his his family that he's writing about and himself that he's writing about. And then you have um, perhaps his antagonist, maybe, um, in the in the character of Marcus Dahlman, um, who who he ends up coming uh, bumping up against a bunch and uh, trying to and, and messing one of his significant mess ups is is in is in uh Marcus Dahlman in, in casting him in, in the role for his play. That's right. So just to give you some sense of how important a character this is, uh, the, the, the play often imagines itself being done with nine cast members. Um, and then a la Laramie Project, etc. the vast majority of those cast members play a whole host of roles. Um, there are two actors in the suggested character division, you know, uh, what roles the, the actors are going to play at the beginning of the script. There are only two actors that are only assigned one role. Uh, David Henry Huang's actor, the actor that plays him, and then the actor that plays Marcus. And Marcus is, as Jackson mentioned at the beginning, a white person who through some casting mix-ups from a play he was doing in California is believed by David Henry Huang and the producers of his show of Face Value to be um, a Eurasian uh, and an Asian person that, because he's not 100% Asian in his lineage and his ancestry, um, doesn't look Asian. He looks, looks like a white person. But mm-hmm. David Henry Huang decides to go ahead and cast him in Face Value, a play which is about an Asian person dressing in white face um, as the Asian character. And right. it is revealed, David Henry Huang discovers that Marcus is indeed not Asian at all and realizes right. that he's made a blunder. He fires him from the run of Face Value and casts an Asian actor in the Asian character's role. Um, but before he does that, he is complicit in helping to perpetuate the the lie, perpetuate the myth, uh, perpetuate mm-hmm. the cover-up that Marcus is indeed Asian. They pretend that Marcus is from, he has uh, ancestors in Siberia, Siberian Jews. And uh, David Henry Hong says, well, look, Siberia is in Asia. It's just north of China. He is Asian. He's Siberian. What do you mean Siberians aren't Asians? So what are you, what are you saying? And right. on and on it goes. And that happens. And David Henry Hong is involved in the cover up there. And then he fires Marcus and Marcus disappears for a while. Yeah, yeah, he just the the it's kind of a a, a really 
kind of sad section of the play. He leaves like six messages right in a row trying to understand what happened exactly and then figuring out what happened and and all the messages are deleted. And we're like, okay, well, there goes that character. And then he pops up, <laughs> then he pops up again. Um, in like, uh, yeah, he's at the end of the act, he's... Uh, David has has joined his father's bank. He's on the on the board there, and and in a conversation, they learn that that, that uh, Marcus has uh, materialized in California on a on a tour of the King and I playing the King. Right, and the tour is sort of advertising itself as an ethnically and culturally accurate production, a production that's trying to redeem some of the explicit stereotyping that's in The King and I as a show. And so to do that, they've done a whole bunch of work in the production design and um, the casting to make the show as culturally and ethnically accurate as possible, including, they believe, and Marcus is agreeing with and uh, hold, you know, perpetuating that they have cast an ethnically appropriate actor to play the king, Marcus, who is not Asian, but a white man who is pretending to be Asian to get roles at this point. That's what we've discovered, is that in the time between his firing from face value and his reappearance playing the king, he has kept up this lie of being uh, an Asian Siberian Jew um, and has now taken an Asian role, pretending to be an Asian actor. And and not only that, yeah, and not only that, he's so he's he's using David's story that he made for him, and David gave him a name. He gave him a stage name. Uh, he asked him to switch it to Marcus Gee for this one. Uh, one uh, press conference or or meeting that they had to go to, and he's kept that name as his stage name. And so he's there's this fascinating. Um, complicity that that David's character has to go through and and I think that drives why he's so uh, uh, engaged against Marcus for the rest of the play because he bears some responsibility for this myth that's out there it's not just Marcus kind of going around lying to people he's using David's lie and the the, the dominoes that fall um, are, are somewhat traceable back to him so he keeps like going out and trying to get Marcus to either admit to it or get someone to shame Marcus into admitting that he's lying um, and kind of poking at different different uh, people to try to make that happen. So just to quickly summarize what happens with that through the rest of the play, the anti-Chinese and anti-Asian sentiments that are stirred up in some of the journalism of the 90s and the government of the 90s um, becomes more and more prominent. And Marcus sort of becomes an outspoken advocate uh, on behalf of the Asian community pretending to be an Asian man and fights against that, all the while chastising David Henry Huang for not being more involved in these protests, in the fight against racism at this level. And it comes to a head when David's father is dragged into all this, and they he and and David and Marcus sort of agree that if they very publicly reveal that Marcus is in fact a white man, not an Asian person, that might be able to change the course of these investigations because the investigations have looked into Marcus as well because he's purportedly an Asian man making campaign donations to Clintons and et cetera. And so if 
Marcus comes out and says, I'm actually Wyatt. I don't know why they've been investigating me. And David says, this is how the mix-up happens. Basically, the idea is it might shame sort of the all these people who've been, uh, you know, ra- in this racist, pers- you know, finding these quote-unquote evil Chinese hidden in America, all this racism, might shame that into submission a little bit. And that's what they do. And it works. And it works. It works yeah. very <laughs> successfully. And um, then we reach... The end of the play, more or less. Right. And David and Marcus go on a walk. This is at David's father's funeral. He's, he's had cancer and he passes at the end of the show. And so David and, and Marcus go on a walk where they reflect some on what's happened, on um, you know how interesting it is that, they've been, that Marcus was able to just sort of pretend to be someone else and have that work for him for a while. And then it is revealed that... Marcus is not a real person. Yeah, in a very highly theatrical moment, um, the character begins to talk to the playwright. Um, uh, we, we discover that uh, Marcus is, in fact, a, a, uh, a fabrication, a, a fictional character that uh, David has been writing uh, into this story to kind of tell the story well. Um so, so right about the point that you're like, man, I gotta, I gotta like Google this and figure out like, I, I completely believe that that all of a sudden this investigation fell apart because it was obvious that they were being racist, and I want to like Google it and read read articles about it or something. And right about there, you're like, oh, oh, wait, <laughs> right, this so, whole plot line isn't true, <laughs> right? Yeah. So this is the I'll just read a, a little bit of the exchange where this is revealed, so you get a sense of how. Uh, Marcus and David Henry Huang are on this walk. Um, I'm going to say DHH just for this to make it a little bit quicker to say the characters. DHH, um, I can't believe you're going there. Listen, you are nobody's idea of the American dream, okay? Marcus, then why did you create me? DHH, uh, Marcus? Marcus, be honest, I'm a character. In this play you've written about your dad and yourself and what happened with that, that reporter who we're not supposed to say his real name. DHH, I wasn't planning to get into this. Marcus, I think you should. DHH, no, see, I was planning to maintain the ambiguity about reality versus fiction through the end of the play. Marcus, (laughs) well, I think that's intellectually dishonest. (laughs) And thus it's revealed that in a play which is... In this documentary, this oral history type format, um, there has been a, a very major element of the show, which is entirely fictional. Yeah, a significant, like like almost almost a a block on which the whole show rests. Basically, <laughs> is a fictional character. Uh, also, throughout the play, there are these letters that uh, Marcus is writing to David about um, his his trip to this this uh, little village in China about how he's finding himself after the whole uh, it's post it's post the events of the play um, and how he's trying to find himself again. So so yeah, you, you feel framed the the play is framed by this relationship, and then you discover that the framework itself is fictionalized. So we started that whole long process of getting to this point right. of the conversation. I don't remember exactly what the question we asked was, but what what do we make of that? That this play, which is a fictionalized accounting of, by and large, true events, uses a fictional plank, an entirely made-up plank, to synthesize all of these true stories together into some sort of narrative. 
Yeah, I'm st- I'm still processing it honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, like there's 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 um one of one of my favorite parts of this play is the complicated conversations between David Henry Huang and uh, Marcus because they have these like fundamentally different views of of how they're supposed to be behaving in the world because <laughs> David David is making this argument of like you should not be doing this you are not Asian and you're lying to people and you're 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 taking advantage of people you're trying to belong to a community that you have no right to be a part of and you're and you're a white person doing that as well so you're essentially using your privilege to choose to be Asian for a while when you could lay it down at any time and Marcus's response is is a fascinating response. He's saying, "But yes, I but I chose it, right? And 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 I want to be a part of this community and I want to and he, and he for the most part, he puts his money where his mouth is. He's a part of these different groups. He does a lot of activism for 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 Asian American actors. And so so it's 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 this messy conversation between two fundamentally different viewpoints. And um, and it's just interesting at the end of the play to think that they could be real and then uh, realize it's kind of a mental exercise for the playwright. Yeah, I think that it is very important that David Henry Huang reveals that this is fictional at the end of the play. It, I, I, It's my sense, and I'm just, of course, imagining what would happen, so it's just a guess. But it, it's my imagination that if he did not do that the conversation around the play might tend to revolve around the fact that this is a true story with this fictional element. That definitely didn't happen. And that would create more confusion and conversation about that element, whereas instead he simply admits that that is an element of the play and I think hopefully sidesteps that being a large part of the conversation that can occur around and about the play. I agree. I think I think given the events of the play, you ha- almost have to do that um, because as soon as as soon as any reporter or any individual figures out that, <laughs> that none of the or none of that that through line is true, that's that's the conversation. And so admitting it fo- lets you focus on okay, well then what was this play about? If it's not this interaction between uh, about like a DHH making Marcus. And then the subsequent shame around Marcus accepting what he's been made into and running with it. Um, if it's not necessarily about that, what are the issues that the play is talking about? And that 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 refines us, that focuses us, kind of funnels us down to to the, the play itself and what it, what it's driving at. And I think that the play is it, it presents as real life, right? I mean, it it. it because of how many quotes and how many real people and how many recognizable things going on in the world there are and the fact that it ostensibly is telling true stories, because it presents as reality to to just leave it unsaid that as such a major piece of this play is not reality, I think Marcus's point at the end that it's intellectually dishonest is true. It, the the play presents as being a true story, at least for a lot of the elements. And so it, it's important for him to say, no, 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 this isn't that that part of this is not a true story. Don't believe that going forward, because that's just going to make things confusing. Mm hmm. 
So what do you what was your experience then? Were you then subsequently confused about any of the other elements of the story as a result of this? Or um, do you do you feel like you need another read through or do you feel like you can trust uh, the non Marcus portions of the story to be to be relatively true? Well, I can always use another read-through of this play. I love, love, <laughs> love this play. So I, I have no opposition to that. Um, but I, I do think that knowing that he has chosen to involve non-real fictional plot in a story that is otherwise, you know, quote-unquote based on a true story type of storytelling, that does make it... You have to be more careful about knowing what is true and what is not true from this story. Now, when you do the research and you look into the other events of the play, you discover that by and large, this is a fictionalized accounting of what is otherwise true things that happened. Um, And so they do seem reliable the more that you dig into the the events surrounding the Marcus storyline. It's more interesting to me to wonder... Why bother with that? What? Why do this whole thing of making up a character to fit, not just as a subplot, but as a winding major element through the whole of the play? I mean, he claims that Marcus revealing that, David Henry Huang claims that Marcus revealing that he's white was a major turning point in the anti-Asian se- uh, government and journalistic sentiments of the 90s, right. which cannot be a fact because Marcus doesn't exist. This <laughs> isn't a real person. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a great question. It's I, I've 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 read through the kind of explanation paragraph that DHH has a couple times about how he's talking about um he discovered that he had a face that he was presenting to the world and that how how um when he when that face became becoming a mask for him and how he's kind of lost who exactly he is as well. And and in in that putting on of this this different face, and um and I think it's I, I think that certainly has a part part of it. I I'll just read the, the the line here. Years ago, I discovered a face, one I could live better and more fully than anything I'd ever tried. But as the years went by, my face became my mask, and I became just another actor running around in yellow face. And the face he's referring to is, um. Marcus describes it as a Chinese concept of personhood where the face, I guess, would maybe a maybe a, a suitable different word you could use would be something like mask. This face or this mask that you present to the world, whatever that is, reveals something about who you really are. Now, I want to say that I know nothing about this concept, and all I'm doing is summarizing what Marcus said. So right. it, that, that may be very far from accurate, but that's what the character believes about this concept. Mm-hmm. And so for, for, that, for that sake, he's basically made a, char- a whole character <laughs> that is that facet of himself. And then set that character loose into a world of real events, and kind of and and watched what happened, um, and and followed followed the blocks, followed the lines of what 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 that that character does when it when they believe that so fully, and 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 then yeah, the, I, I think that that is a fascinating thing. That is a fascinating uh, p- 
playwright. Exercise is a fascinating play to watch. Um, it, it'd be interesting to go back and watch the play again with that in mind. And, like, and of how course, do you... the, the, this, the, the, the Marcus storyline is so important to the play that the t- your understanding of the title could be a description of that part of the play, right? Yellowface mm-hmm. is a white person pretending to be an Asian person, as we mentioned at the beginning, and that is Marcus's story. He's a white person pretending to be an Asian person. Now, it's also, of course, a reference to how pervasive that occurring on stage and in Hollywood is, as we all know within the past... It very year, recently, yeah, year and absolutely. a half. That might even it's, be too long. That Hollywood has had another scandal about that exact same thing with Scarlett Johansson. So, Yellowface is still very much around. Yeah, it's it it has it has not stopped. <laughs> um, and and so so yeah, it's it's this the, this play is kind of leaning into that and and drawing attention to it, drawing attention to it from two different sides, giving voice to two different sides of the argument and. And I, I think it's fascinating. I, the, especially, especially, kind of the uh, we've already talked about the complicity factor of of David in it, and it's just an interesting way to kind of let us into that space with a complicit person of the offended party to to engage it. And what it does is it takes the issue artistically, right? Should a white person be able to play minority characters? And at the time that the play was written that question of should was still a much bigger question. Is it right or wrong for that to happen? And especially when the events of the play were going on, that was even more true, right? Because when Jonathan Price played the engineer in Miss Saigon, the question was still around as like, is that ethically acceptable? And a lot of people were saying yes, because it's acting. Anybody can play anybody. And he was the strongest person. Freedom of expression and blah, blah, blah. In the 25 whatever years since then, I think culture has shifted ever so slightly away from it being a question of should. And I think by and large, we're in a world now where we understand that that's unacceptable, or at least we're on the path towards that world, perhaps. But that was not true when the play was written as much and definitely not when the events of the play took place. And so I think that David Henry Huang takes this artistic issue about actors and expression and creates a character that brings that issue away from the world of art into the real world. No right. longer is Marcus just a white actor playing an Asian character. He's a white person pretending to be an Asian person. And yeah. I lament that I didn't look up the names, but we had this happen in our world uh, not more than 10 years ago when there a woman in in uh, on the West Coast was uh, presenting as a black woman, despite the fact that she had no, she she wasn't black at all, and she was serving on in some level of government with that as part of her life, and that was a national news story forever. And it'd be I would be fascinated to hear David Henry Huang do an interview about that when it happened, because it is so closely tied with the events of this play. Yeah, no, that that would be fascinating. So, so let's talk about the the. Um, there's another there's another moment in this play that really stands out to me. That last moment of the play, right, is is a big one. The reveal that Marcus isn't a real character. The other one is the interview with, and I I, I want to get the the acronym of this person's name right because it's not in fact a name. Um, I'm just finding it here. Uh, name withheld on advice of counsel. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. So this is a journalist who is responsible for writing a number of the articles that appeared in the period, uh, the time period, that are uh, casually racist. They're they're yeah. they're they're they seem to be part of a concerted effort to seek out quote unquote evil Chinese spies living yeah. amidst the Chinese American community. Um, or at least that's David Henry Huang's uh, accusation about the journalist. The journalist tries to defend himself um, by claiming to just simply be sort of an unbiased journalist willing yeah. to report any version of the story. But he doth protest too much. Doth protest too much. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and so when he's interviewing David Henry Huang about his father's bank and blah blah blah, blah uh, David Henry Huang says, "I'm going to put you in my play because he says some." And this time, I think I'll say less than casually racist. Yeah, just straight up. (laughs) Meaning more explicitly racist things in that interview. And David Henry Hong says, I'm going to put you in my play. And he says, you better not use my name. So... So he doesn't. Um, <laughs> he, 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 yeah, he names the character name withheld on, a, on advice of counsel. And, but, but it is just like... He gives an, more than enough information to identify this person. <laughs> oh, easily, yeah, <laughs> easily, yeah. So, so, but it's a it's a fascinating conversation, and I think it shows off the power of the playwright and sort of sets up the justification at the end of the play for for him not um, uh, for him fabricating Marcus. Um, he he talks about. Uh, yeah, um, it's a, it's a great series of lines. Um, are you, uh, name withheld on advice of counsel says you're going to write a play about me. David responds, "I'm going to have to use that quote someplace. You can't. Why not? You're writing about me, aren't you? I'm a reporter and I'm a playwright. Nice to meet you. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderfully comic. That's a great example of the incredible comedy that's throughout the play and even the name withheld on advice of counsel is a bit it's a comic bit and i imagine it plays very very funny whenever the they're going to say the character's name david henry huang will say uh you know yet tomorrow i have this interview with name withheld on advice of counsel and some sort of announcer speaker sound effect uh something happens that basically overdubs saying mm-hmm. the name of the actual reporter. And if I were direct, and you know, I'm not directing, but if I were directing, <laughs> that's how I would do it. I would actually have the actors mouth the name and uh, some sort of sound effect or other character overdub it to really layer on this effect of like, you know, doing sort of a black line across certain types types of stuff. And I imagine right. it's very, very funny because it's also the moment where we get that self-reflective comic bit about Huang saying, you know, how how egregious it is for playwrights to put themselves into their plays as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 a fascinating, like really really fun moment between these two characters who are both writing, but are writing at each other, um, and using their their respective uh, fields of influence to to kind of hold some power over each other. Where are there some other funny moments? Because it it's a serious story. It's a story about racism, and it's a story about 
the way that culture needs to change, and it's a story about very big questions of identity. But it's it's a it's a light-hearted telling of said story, and that's a, that that a little bit is David Henry Huang's style. Um, but it certainly comes through in some very very funny moments. I'm thinking of just sort of the brazenly almost farcical moment where he and his dad had like an inability to communicate over his father's new speaker phone. Yeah. I mean, just a very funny human moment. It doesn't have a lot to do with the plot. It reveals character more than anything else, but very, very funny. Yeah, absolutely. That A lot of the conversations with, with his father are very funny. There's another one where he's talking about how his uh, back in he's 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 riffing on like how activism based he is, and he said in college I went on a hunger strike for two weeks, and his dad's like you went on a hunger strike for two weeks? Are you are you okay? And he's like of course I was. I was still eating during the time, and his dad said how do you how did you eat if you were fat? We we fasted in shifts. <laughs> 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 or the the bit where he's checking out at the like the adult DVD store yes. and the cashier at this adult DVD store is like one of the few people who recognizes him and the world is like, you know, F the critics, man, and yep. gives him like a, a complimentary porn DVD just mm-hmm. as a, to celebrate his fame. <laughs> yeah, he, he calls up an organization and asks for an award that he's already won to be granted to him a second time. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> So so yeah, it's it's just all over like these 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 pinnacles of humor throughout. And and I mean Marcus has tons of kind of there's a lot of situational comedy in that press conference scene because <laughs> That's right, because uh, DHH like happens to have an atlas on him yeah, to show off. I just off happen to Sib- have an atlas here. Let me show you where <laughs> Siberia is. Yep. Uh-huh. Yeah, just delightfully kind of absurdly comical. And and that is I think that it serves a specific purpose in this storytelling to include and and really to make part of the fabric of the story itself the fact that you laugh through it. And there are moments where it's more like chuckling. There are moments of wincing in a in a very, you know, at the pain of what's going on, at the awkwardness, at the embarrassment of the outright racism. And there are moments of uproarious laughter. And it's a it's a sort of a tapestry of human emotion what he's giving you in the in this long form kind of story about many many different years and why not just make this sort of a hard hitting dramatic exposé of the racism in America yeah yeah uh, i think i think some of it is is his kind of self professed way that he writes he knows that he just writes comedy or not just writes comedy that he has a bent to write comedy well um so so certainly there's a part of that but also i think there's there is a a little bit of an alienation effect that you get if you get to laugh um and and if and it and it's clear that you're supposed to <laughs> um and and when you when you're able to do that you're able to let out some of the tension that you're holding and with with engaging in this theme and the complicity of possibly yourself in this theme um and then reengage with a, a fresh and kind of um it's like it's like yeah it's like taking a time out it's like oh okay now i can now i can reengage with this mm-hmm. yeah i agree with all that there's one more element that I I'd, I'd like to discuss as we look at the whole of the script and it involves Marcus's journey to China the the again Marcus fictional character the conclusion of the play the 
character asks to be given a happy ending. And so at the end of the play, Huang provides the context for these emails that he, that have been given to us throughout the entirety of the script. And these are email messages from Marcus, ostensibly, to David Henry Huang about Marcus's trip to China, where he visits a rural village where a very specific community of ethnic Chinese live. And this community has this very special, long-standing tradition. Yeah, it's like um, uh, they're a singing community. They're singers, and they kind of, the lifeblood of their community is this song that they teach to their children when they're very young and um, and 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 sing it often. Uh, there There is a little bit of a mention in one of the letters about specifically when tourists are in town, they sing the songs um, for, for their consumption. But um, also, it seems to be kind of suffused into the community, this this kind of ancient folk song. Uh, style um, and it and it's a real style. I went and looked up a couple of the songs in this in this uh, this community's style of music, and it's it's a beautiful kind of like like the if if you're a music nerd, like the Dorian mode is to uh, American folk music. Um, this is a very similar kind of long notes, beautiful harmonies, uh, yeah, style of style of folk music. And and so Marcus goes to China. And it's just important to say over and over again, this this did not really happen. Fictional Marcus. <laughs> this is not true. It's just part of the story of the play. Mar- at the end of all of these events, after he's outed himself as really a white person, he goes to China on some sort of soul-searching venture and ends up in this community. And that th- those the story of that are the emails that we get from Marcus throughout the play. And... What happens to Marcus at the end here? The, the the end of this journey to this group of people and the end of the play is this sort of button press on this musical style. Well, yeah, it's I mean it's in, in some ways it kind of justifies some of Marcus's argument. Um, and the the last letter that he sends, um, he is he is welcomed into the big song is is what at least the term that that he says, and they they sing it all together, um, and and kind of welcome him into the community in a way, um, and 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 he re- he doesn't understand the language, but he kind of receives a message of this this oneness as well. What the big song is doing is is uh kind of bringing in all these different voices and peoples and perspectives and kind of bringing them together into one community. Um, and the the lyrics to the song that Marcus describes singing, I'm, I'm about to read you just the last section because this is within the last 30 seconds of the play that he says this or perhaps it's sung somehow. Um, but I do want to say that I lament that I was not able to determine conclusively if these are real lyrics to the song sung by the real people, like if this is actually part of the big song from this group in China, or if David Henry Hong has written this these words for the purposes of the play. I don't know. I wish I did. I tried a little bit, but I just couldn't find anything <laughs> that seemed very conclusive. But I do want to read it to you, regardless of whether Huang made them up or if they're ancient words to this music that have existed for generations. They still are a great button for this play. The last four lines that he sings of this piece, or maybe he says them, I don't know. For nothing of value, nothing which lasts, nothing human is ever pure. 
Mm-hmm. And I mean, the the fact that in this story that Huang tells, nobody comes out clean at the end is that's part of what the story is. That, that, that's part of why he tells this story. As the protagonist playwright, he doesn't come out looking real great. He makes some really crucial mistakes and he presents his real honest failures as part of the play. Certainly Marcus doesn't come out looking great, but he also doesn't come out looking terrible in every moment of the play either. And same with all the other characters. And that, that something about that is, is part of what Huang's trying to say about this issue of race and identity and, and representation in art and politics and how all these things mesh together. Some of the message here is about it not being clean, it not being pure, that it's it not being black and white. And that that's okay to some degree. He's sure. he's uh, towards the end of the play. He's he's talking about how maybe he's just living into his dad's dream, and his dad's dream was to be Jimmy Stewart because he watched all these Jimmy Stewart movies growing up. He wanted to be the 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 American bank executive. When he's dragged in front of the Senate, he wants to be the person you know, like uh, like Mister Smith goes to Washington style, who can rail against the Senate and tell them how wrong they are. Um, he wants to be the the American hero. His dad is is a very American character, um, for for all that he is also a very uh, American Chinese character. So, so yeah, it's 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 this this kind of messiness of like following his father's dreams, yearning for uh, the the kind of the the, the oneness and the rep- fairness and representation in in various communities, while while acknowledging that there's 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 a lot of messiness and a lot of of kind of blurring that ends up happening as you go. And because the piece is autobiographical and because the play describes some incredible stories, some stories that you just can can hardly believe happened, but they did. You want the playwright at the end to give you some sort of like, this is how these experiences changed me for the better. And this <laughs> is the message. And Huang is absolutely and correctly unwilling to do that. He, mm-hmm. his, his message is sort of like, you know, at the end of all this, uh, we're still moving forward somehow. There's still more to do. There's still more to learn and more ways to grow and more ways to be better. There's no, it's not like the final page of this play is the end of this story. And now 13 years after it initially premiered, we can see how the story has continued. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go ahead and quote the other part of the song because I think it's a perfect, perfect uh, uh, from the play what you're saying, which is the song is saying, get over yourself. The song is only doing what it has always done, taking in voices from all the lands and all the peoples who have ever crossed its path. Though that road has been messy, it made this song. Like that. Uh, yeah. Incredible. I mean, incredible. great words. It. <laughs> I, it's probably it, written by the playwright, but probably that's fine. That, that's my inclination. But <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I also don't want to insult the that tribe of people in China if that song has been held by them for hundreds of years or whatever. Sure, you know, of course. I mean, but probably written by the playwright is my instinct as well. Yeah, and it, it does it does sum up some of the theme that he is talking about in the show. 
Absolutely. Well, that is all the time we've got for Yellow Face by David Henry Huang. We will definitely come back to him, as we said at the beginning, just one of the finest American playwrights currently writing right now. If you've not picked up a Wong play, this is a great place to start because it represents kind of the height of his ability to craft something really special, really sharp, really effective. But he's got a lot of other plays. You know, if you have never read M. Butterfly, if you want to be a theater person, you're going to have to pick up M. Butterfly at some point. (laughs) It's one of the major plays of the latter half of the 20th century. If you want to read something that had a huge amount of commercial success, his play Chinglish is uh, very popular. Uh, We... we discussed him almost did do that one instead of yellow face just because it's a little more well known um and then of course he just was nominated for a pulitzer for his play soft power which i think is a musical um i haven't done any looking into it though and that's the next one that i'm excited to get my hands on Yes, so when you get your hands on any of those scripts, or specifically Yellowface for the purpose of this conversation, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, or our Gmail, and we'd love to keep talking about any of those plays with you. On all those social media sites, we are at the username at Podcast, and the Gmail is noscriptpodcast at gmail.com. Keep finding us on those and having conversations with us and with each other on, on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about these plays with you. One of the incredible things for us about the podcast is to watch the the viewership, the listenership grow uh, just about every episode. It's amazing. Yeah, week to week, yeah. It's just awesome. Thank you all because I know yeah. and we know that you are largely responsible for recommending the podcast to others. Honestly, we don't do a whole lot of advertising. Um, that might be something as more and more patrons get on board and we have a little bit more money to use towards that kind of thing that we'd consider doing more widely in the future. But right now, the advertising is you. You are telling your friends, your family, people who love scripts about the show, and they're finding us. And um, that's just amazing. So thank so th- you for yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> and please continue to tell people. You can send them, if they're looking for us, to Podbean. That's where we're hosted. There's an app you can download if you want to use Podbean or on the website, podbean.com. But we're also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You can find them all there. If you're connected with us on Facebook, every Monday on Facebook, the new script automatically comes up, and you can click it and access the play from there. So that's a great place to find it as well. Every Wednesday, we do post what's script is coming up. So if you're not a patron yet, we hope you will be. But if you're not and you like to read ahead, then you can see what we're going to release on Monday on the Wednesday before on all of our social media as well. So until you see that post and next week when we're talking about another play, I am Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us on No Script, the podcast. See ya.